0: Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation Podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I'm so glad you could join me as we wind down, uh, well, the practical aspects of the season, but the memories are still there. In fact, thank you, uh, Mark and uh, John and uh, Joe, for the great photos of your last day in my text messages. And thank you all. If you sent something like that to our Facebook page, it really does put a capper on this season. But that's just a start. We're going to take a look at some really interesting things. But first, we're going to talk to John Hubble. He's an Orvis-endorsed Texas bird hunting guide and outfitter. And he's got hits for us on everything from comportment in the field to actually working your dogs. And, oh, yeah, Bird hunting. Yeah, we'll, we'll get some great advice from a guy whose boots are on the ground a lot more frequently than mine or yours, probably. So stick around for some practical and some philosophical advice there. And then speaking of advice, um, our handle it segment this week, I'm working on a number of things that might be of use to you, including, yeah, a grooming tip. No, not for you although I hope you do that once in a while. This will be for your dog, and it may just save you a trip to the vet. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast, so stay tuned here. It's made possible by LandTrust.com, ESPAmerica.com, Purina's ProPlan Sport Dog Food, midwayusa.com trulock choke tubes mid valley clays and shooting school pointer shotguns and sage and breaker gun care products yeah the thaw has begun and from what i can gather out there anywhere in the country while we're getting about here and there, uh, at least the really ugly weather we had is, uh, is gone for a while. That's as close as I'll come to a prediction. Uh, also trying to um, plan ahead. This is uh, my New Year's resolutions included, uh, well, shooting better, but that's a constant. And then also getting the pigeons a lot more work on Flick's behalf this training season so they've got a new feeder a new waterer uh so they can be taken care of even when i go on the road and that'll be coming really handy next hunting season bigger feeder bigger water i could walk away for weeks at a time at least that's the theory <laughs> i'll keep you posted how about you you know i asked uh, I, I love the answers you give uh i po- i posted on on social media a picture of a uh, an intact, uh, it may as well have been what they call a European mount that I found on a, on a pheasant hunt a couple years back. It's just a two-point muley, uh, but the, the skull and the antlers are completely and totally bleached white. So it was probably pretty old by the time I found it. It's now got a place of honor in my office, and uh, I love it. For all sorts of reasons that was a great a great dog a great dog day and a beautiful hunt as well so I asked you to show me your pictures Uh, TJ Downs found a little well gravestone you know and I found a really interesting one of those too. TJ just at one of the places where I run my dog I don't know what's under it and I don't dare disturb it but everybody has their reasons So I get it, and I will honor that. Mike Laroe found a grouse with no tail feathers. (laughs) Um, Glenn Ainsworth found an old cavalry howitzer in a certain place that I know extremely well with a certain name that has the number three in it, I bet. Yeah, it's still there. You checked again this year. So did I. (laughs) Yeah, the reason it's there is you need 1,000 feet of winch cable and and who wants to go to that much trouble if you're that deep into that country glenn as you well know you don't want to you don't want to haul out anything that heavy big dead head for stumble creek kennels yeah that looks uh, like a, quite an impressive elk um, version of the deer i was describing phil stewart found an old antique wagon or what was left of it sitting out there a dead buck with a cow tag in its ear jerry zyke Man, I got to see that. A pistol a mile from the Mexican border. Randy Gasta. Yeah, I wonder what that had been used for. A geocache. Seen a lot of those over the years, Joe Arthur, and and kind of fun. You know, that that kind of came and went. I remember when, uh, when GPS first got rolling for civilians, Geocaching was a big deal. in fact, I was teaching uh how to use GPS uh, at a lot of sports shows then and got deep into the geocaching for a while. I bet there's you know even back then uh uh the uh, the common wisdom such as it is was uh there's probably a geocache within a couple miles of your house, no matter where you live, yeah, lots of urban ones, but a lot of rural ones and and if it's a pretty place. For one reason or another, I'll bet you there's a whole bunch of geocaches. They're kind of fun. Look into it. G-O, you know, like G-E-O, C-A-C-H-I-N-G. That's the sport, such as it is. Okay. Um, Dick Martinson says, this was the coolest on a private ranch. The owner was happy we told him about it, and it is an oh, probably one of the earliest versions of a uh uh, gas pump you know the pillar metal pillar with a big uh pillar like clear tank on the top yeah i bet he was glad to see that that uh, you know even in that condition it's probably eminently saleable or just a fascinating um thing to put in your uh, uh uh living room uh, an old outhouse in the middle of nowhere, says Rusty Shrowshine. I know you're not using it, but that is a hilarious picture. Um, uh, <laughs> Gordon Vavrick, uh, you were at the bottom of the deep canyon when, canyon when you found that bighorn skull. Yeah, the only problem with finding that is got to cart it all the way up to the top of the canyon. Uh-huh. Yes. Dick Martinson, uh, that... That's got to be a big mule shoe. It, it's way too big for anything short of a Clydesdale. So I'm not surprised and uh, and good on you. Although, once again, you know, that's about three chuckers worth of weight in your vest. Uh, oh, some fascinating. Yeah, have you ever found a, a guzzler? Uh, I've found some guzzlers in places where I thought you had to be nuts to uh haul in the materials and uh build it and god bless you if you're one of those guys who did it and then i learned uh uh, many 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 years ago at a nevada chucker foundation uh conference uh banquet that they use helicopters so they'll put a crew and all the gear onto a helicopter and drop it somewhere and those guys will work at it all day all volunteers And good job, everybody. Uh, They'll build it, and then they'll uh, commute home in their chopper at the end of the day. Beautiful stuff. Wonderful thing. Um, Oscar Long, I'm going to open this video. I hope I don't embarrass myself. Um, Can't quite tell yet, but uh, it it looks interesting. Let me put it that way. Uh, uh, I can't tell if it's a dead pigeon in a cave or something more bizarre Scott Bissiger, one of my favorite topics petroglyphs and pictographs that's a cool one it is a native hunter mounted on a horse probably and then being chased by a three-legged octopus <laughs> hey my interpretation is as valid as anybody else's some really really cool so old trucks yeah, uh, saguaro cactus, Celia Roush. Thank you. That is hilarious. That is almost a meme in the making. It's a, okay for lack of a better description. It is a saguaro cactus flipping us the bird. <laughs> and speaking of birds, Celia, thanks again. You found another uh what probably is a a, a memorial, a grave marker with a. Uh, With some sort of a bird on it, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. It's a, you know, there's a a metal cross and then there's a metal cutout of a bird. Can't identify it. It's pretty stylized. But, you know, this is why we go. It really is. Uh, We talk a good game about dog work, which is the real reason. But then all the other stuff we find, we see, we come up with in our own heads or our friends make a, a point of, that's what hunting is about. And I sure appreciate your sharing all of that stuff all the time with us. So thank you very much. We are just getting rolling here on the Upland Nation podcast, brought to you in part by Purina, Pro Plan Sport dog food. Learn more about the various formulations at ProPlanSport.com. You know, I'm big on this whole nutrition thing and how it fuels performance in our dogs omega-3 fatty acids, and glucosamine included in that ProPlan Sport. That's for joint health and mobility. Yeah, <clears throat> if your dog's getting out of the box a little bit slower in the morning, think about that. And then if they're just not quite on their game all the time, consider that ProPlan Sport has the right amount of DHA to help nourish brain and vision health. You get more information at ProPlanSport.com, Pro Plan Sport dog food. Just at the SHOT Show a while back, had, uh, had to, got to spend a lot of time in the uh, Pointer Shotguns booth, all sorts of exciting things, got to finally got to, to shoulder that 28-gauge over and under in uh, case coloring. Uh, Some people say case hardened, case coloring. It's actually the same thing, I believe, most of the time. It's the process they go through to harden the metal, turns it those colors. It's pretty cool, and it shoulders really nicely. And, you know, I heard something interesting, and I'll share more of this down the road. 28s have a better ballistic profile than uh, a 20 in many cases. Now, I'm not going to debate that. It may or may not be true. But anyway... You got your choice at pointershotguns.com. All the gauges, yeah, including a 410, all the colors and all the styles, semi-automatic, over and under, side-by-side, you name it, they got it, pointershotguns.com. That's where you start your search for your next shotgun upgrade. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that all... All, of all the things on my mind these days, one of them is being somewhere warmer than where I am now, and he is. John Hubble is a Texas Orvis-endorsed wing shooting guide. His company is called Premier Wing Shooting. He's down there in Texas somewhere. John, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it.
0: Um, you know, I, I don't get to talk Texas very often with anybody, and I've, uh, of all the states, I've, I've hunted 26 states, but I haven't hunted Texas yet oh my goodness so um so that's my plea for an invitation down the road <laughs> not not really um but i would like to go there and and i do hope to learn more about that area but other things as well so tell me about premier wing shooting and what you guys are doing down there
1: well premier wing shooting uh we are a uh, a, a fully operating cattle ranch as well about 2900 acres of uh, 95% native grass, rolling hills, and you know some oak motts here and there. Uh, we're located just northwest of Austin by about an hour, or hour and a half, just north of Lampasas near a town called Lomita, Texas. So um, you know, pretty centrally located to the state. Uh, we, we're pretty proud of the place in that. If 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 you get on the website and look at the photographs, they're they're absolutely photographs of our place and yeah. um, it's very reminiscent of, uh, of Kansas and Nebraska you know just big rolling hills and that's you know, how the habitat supposed to be in this area but it's uh you know due to fire uh, uh, keeping the fires away the you know the brush and the trees have grown up and it's not like that anymore we're pretty proud of it because you get to go to Kansas, but you know, not such the drive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that idea, and I know I yeah, I'm glad you pointed out the pictures on your website are actual pictures of your place. Yes. Uh, I fell for that once, and it almost cost me, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you say it's a fully functioning cattle ranch. Uh, what what kind of cows you running, and, and how does how do you uh, you know kind of balance uh, ranching and and bird hunting?
1: well so the cattle that are on there are registered Angus cattle and my business partner uh, on the ranch he that's his main area and I'm not sure if you're terribly familiar but um, stocking rates are, are such that uh, uh, he was actually the the Texas Lone Star land steward of the year a few years back and maintaining habitat uh, is a, a big important aspect of what we do and and to be honest with you cows and birds kind of go hand in hand they they love the grasslands and the prairies and if you do it right they work really really well together so that's how that balances out now obviously we've got to deal with you know drought conditions and things like that which everyone does but uh you know we manage it pretty well we do do a really good job and in my opinion i think everyone else that comes out seems to think the same so it's a, it's a proof positive, so to speak.
0: Well, tell me about the hunting side of things. Uh, what are you doing over there? I, no, I noticed you had a couple kind of choices, if you want to call it that, so that no matter what kind of hunting somebody wants to do, they have it there.
1: <clears throat> that's correct. So we, we have um, kind of our, our bread and butter is our, our typical walk-up hunt, you know, which would be you know, anywhere for a walk, well, because it could be one, but that's generally not the case, one to maybe as many as five, and that's you know, just kind of a small private group. Um, those are typically mixed bag hunts Uh, you know we release uh, chucker as well as uh, quail we do have a native population of quail as well on the property which is really nice yeah Um, and then every now and again we run across a a pheasant when we're out there and those are are out there in 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 the landscape as as a part of uh as kind of leftovers typically from our pheasant shoots that we do as well so we've got a walk-up hunt a pheasant shoot which is anywhere from 12 to 24 people and we also offer a line hunt for those that are kind of in between their numbers you know if you've got six people maybe up to up to 12 and you know you're not going to fit on a pheasant shoot so to speak and it's a little bit more than we would be comfortable with on a typical walk-up we'll do a a line hunt and i'm sure if you know if you've hunted in uplands much you, you kind of understand that especially sure. if you go to kansas and you you know you got your line and you'll have your blockers well this is just the line there's no blockers so we're all walking through pasture.
0: so love it well t- uh, tell me about the uh, the you know the <clears throat> the thing that got you into that and why why you like doing that kind of thing so much
1: well i grew up in west texas in uh, uh odessa midland odessa area and it was Big oil patch country, big prairie. Um and you know, my first incident with quail, um, you know, my family had had, had a little land outside of town and we were out there and, you know, being the you know, the time that it was, you know, the eighties, I was, you know, allowed to just roam and roam and roam. And so I roamed the prairies with my BB gun and you know I, I, I tell this story often that you know i had a, a a moment where i think i was trying to shoot a sparrow off a fence and fence post and, and i'm trying to get as close as i can and then all of a sudden the ground just erupted around me it's like <laughs> I, I get chills telling the story still and i'm like what the heck it just scared me and i told my dad about it later on i said dad i don't know what happened he's like oh those are those are quail and they were end up being bobwhite quail and and that kind of kind of started to set the hook and from that point on you know we we would run around and we had blue quail out there as well um and and some bob whites, not not many bob white but mostly blue quail And, and you'll see those suckers running and you know it's just roaming the pastures and that's just the type of uh hunting that i got into and it seemed to fit well with my adhd i don't sit still very well i can't do this you know the 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 deer stand hunting. Yeah, i yeah. gotta be moving we're gonna form a um, club by the way all of us yeah, with that. Yeah. yeah yeah so you know that's how it how it started and um you know hunting has always kind of been a part of part of our our, our life my father didn't do a whole lot of it which is interesting um that you know i was just left to this may sound bad but it's not it's a wonderful thing it's just left to my own devices out yeah. in the pastures and you know it's it's a great thing you you learn a lot and uh, you know my my love of the outdoors uh in bird hunting especially stemmed from that i love it and
0: uh, <clears throat> interesting you you too uh, you know mentioned certain aspects of of uh, blue quail hunting that uh, that will vex or frustrate a lot of us. And I finally, uh, finally, finally at the shot show this year, I was talking with somebody about blues and, and they finally said what you think everybody wants to say, but won't. And that is, I hate those
1: suckers. They're a tough bird. You know, we, we go out to West Texas still out near Alpine um, about once a year, probably. I would say we average and, and, just to get beat up by those things <laughs> yeah you yeah. know and it's interesting it's it, it's it's a fun hunt now, i found and this this is not a uh a derogatory you know phrase about bird dogs but i found that we actually see the birds far faster and more often than the bird, the dogs are going to find them. Now, sure. they'll clean up the, they'll find the singles really really well but man we'll see them oh let's get around you know you just, you're running and I've I I've currently have a, a 16 gauge. in the in the process of being uh, being completely re, refabbed, new stock, new metal, like everything. And it's going to be my, my pheasant and blue quail gun um, because those are some tough, tough, tough birds. I would I would put them up against the pheasant um, both in terms of toughness and in terms of speed, you don't yeah. really know how fast those little legs are going until we had a, a situation a, a couple of years ago where we were going along and all of a sudden a single quail jumps up in front of me and starts running away from me. And I called over my, my cocker and he finally saw it and started running after it. And he was barely, I mean, full speed, barely catching this thing. I believe barely. It. Yeah. And the second he got within 20 feet of that bird, obviously it it took to wing and and left him, left him behind. That was the first um, idea that I got of how fast they actually are, because even though it's a little cocker, they can move. They can really move. So to see that cocker, not just be able to catch this bird was shocking. And it kind of gave me a a little sense of, uh, you know, you have a, a relatable, uh, uh, uh moment see how yeah. fast they are yeah. so you know that that in a nutshell
0: folks if you haven't hunted blues that's the that's what it is and it's no wonder everybody kind of you know I don't know what they have for those birds but it's it's not admiration it's uh it's the de- desire for revenge i think yeah
1: i think you're right i think it, you're right you
0: know but you mentioned something real interesting number one i again coming from the shot show recently i uh, didn't see a lot of 16s but i talked to a couple people about 16 gauge and mm-hmm. and uh, so you said you like it as a pheasant gun and you're going to use it for blues too which are also called scale quail uh, yep is it because you could have more pellets than a 20 and you can reach out and touch them a little bit more efficiently? What's the, what's the deal on
1: that? You know, I shoot a 28 gauge mainly. Um, and that's actually other than the 16, that's all I shoot. Yeah. And my feeling on it, and I know this is, may have some controversy behind it, but my feeling is that a 28 gauge is a better 20. I know that's going to probably catch some, some flack, just because of obvious it's a little bit more restricted but you get the same amount of lead um flying out there you know three quarters of an ounce of uh, of shot my feeling on the 16 gauge is that it's a better 12 because uh-huh. you know it's just a little bit more restricted same amount of lead so yeah. that's the idea there that um you know i've hunted blue quail with my 28 gauge and i have and you know i i can find one ounce one ounce shot for those things but man <laughs> so that's that's the reason for for that that being the, the the pheasant and uh blue quail gun just to be able to have a little bit more lead on them yeah. than i would um and and and, and it to to get downrange a little bit easier
0: yeah well all the all logical rationale Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, about the the Bob White hunting on your place because yep. you, you you know that better than most of us. Tell yeah. me what a typical Bob White hunt entails for you: the dog style, the dog breeds, the you know the country you're yeah. looking at, all of that.
1: So the way we will run a walk up hunt is, um, uh, well, first first foremost, let me let me kind of go back. So when you come to our place. Um, while we do have a preserve license and birds are released, um, being the lovers of wild bird hunts and big open prairie hunts that we are, we strive extremely hard to mimic and put you in a, in a a situation that is as real and wild as it can be. So, um, not that I would knock other preserves. I've, I've done that before um but we're you know on a you know i'll just say a typical preserve typical not not all uh you know you may be in a you know 40 or 50 or 70 acre pasture and you know just chasing singles for a couple a couple hours and, and that's fine i've done it love it um in our place we, like i said we do strive to make that a little bit uh a little bit more wild and realistic and uh when we're hunting we're we're chasing coveys, and, uh, you know, our releases out there are such that, you know, they're um, seasonal, week, monthly, and weekly releases. So when we're finding birds, you know, yeah, you're going to run across a, an occasional single, but you're going to run across a covey, and then we're busting the covey, and then we're, you know, following it up and going after the single. So that's, that's what we try to do very, 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 very much. I think we do a really good job of it, and our, our land is such that it allows us to do that, obviously we're fortunate enough to have you know you know any single course that you may be hunting with us i think our smallest course is 100 acres and our our largest course that you'll hunt is 250 acres and the main reason it's not larger than that is just that you know our timed hunts you know for morning hunt we're going to be out there two and a half three hours you just can't cover more than that sure in that time um and that that's just a factor of time so but that's what we do um for our walk-up hunts we do use pointing breeds, uh, you know, to find 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 the birds, and then we always have a little a little cocker or uh, a retrieving breed with us, a flusher that uh, you know will send in for the flush and it gets the birds going all over the place. And here we go.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I've never really asked uh, about this uh, in a long time, but I number one, I remember when cockers started replacing labradors for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, yep and and, uh, you know you got to train for that both dogs need to understand certain rules uh, about how they're going to comport themselves in the field Uh, do you you keep your what does your cocker do for most of the hunt
1: well our cockers are, are, are on what we call a soft heel yeah um now you know a hard heel would be hey right there at our literally at our heel as we're walking a soft heel for For me is they're they're allowed to kind of wander around within about a five yard radius yeah um and you know those little cockers, they're so smart they 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 virtually train themselves Mm -hmm. but as long as you've got a really good uh a a recall you've got a soft heel where they're going to stay with you and then you've got a really good release once you get those you're going to be hunting in a in a a pointing a pointing breed situation like what, what we do so you know Our dogs are, you know, when a dog goes on point. Once we get through a couple of seasons, or actually probably less than one season, if I'm being honest about it, with the cockers, they're so smart they will start to realize that when they see a pointer on point, they're going to sit down. They'll start to realize, hey, okay, oh, let me go, let me go find John, let me go find my boss, and they'll come back to you, or they'll sit down and wait till they're released. So that allows us to get our, our our clients and our hunters in in a good formation and 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 to talk about where we are because we do have a lot of undulation and elevation change out there so there's a lot of situations where we find ourselves looking hey we're pointing up a hill you know those birds get up if they're going up that hill that bird needs to be really high for it to be a safe shot so yeah you know having that you know a point having a flusher that we can send in there get everyone in position it makes for better shooting um more and, and more more safe shooting yeah. is uh, a, a big factor for us
0: uh well that that was the first reason people started using flushing breeds at all mm-hmm. and it, it, rather than have john walk in and fly the bird <laughs> and everybody's shooting in his general direction yeah. now let's let's use something a little bit shorter uh, um how how do the pointing dogs relate to the uh cocker what, what's your expectation in terms of them as the the little dog comes blazing past
1: well our our expectation is is such that it's uh it's in theory and then in practice oh right? uh, that's Those why i asked very, it the way it, i did it <laughs> can be very very different as i'm sure you're aware of yeah. I mean, we all all have our dogs and they all have their own little quirks and you know we learn to live with them or we try to get it out of them and we just go that way so so our pointing dogs now it depends if the dog has been trained to retrieve a lot like uh like i have a griffon yeah uh his name is biscuit he the retrieve is his reward for finding that bird yeah and when you got a little flusher coming in there and flushing and going to get the retrieve he's not always too happy about it so it it takes a little effort to keep them you know keep them doing their own thing ideally and this is where, where, we, where we are with most of our pointers and there's it's uh, there's a couple of factors of why but we want them to find the birds and we want them to stay on point until they're released so flusher comes in flushes the birds they're just standing there until they're released two reasons number one we have that flusher on a soft heel and then we send him in for the flush and then he goes and retrieves. Well, that flusher is not running all over the place, you know, quartering back and forth like you might do with a flushing breed out in the prairies of, you know, Kansas chasing pheasants. Yeah. He's saving energy. The flip side of that is when that pointer is finding birds and then not having to go full sprint after a retrieve and then come back and then they're saving energy as well. So our dog's Energy levels and longevity seems to seems to 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 expand quite a bit, and, and yeah, that's the main reason. Especially when you know down here in Texas, it's gonna be seventy two degrees a day. Yeah, so yeah. we got to think about that. So saving that, it's easier on them from a heat perspective. Um, you know, it just it just it's better for the dog in the long run. Yeah, um, makes now, like sense. I said, not not all the dogs like it, but. But that's what we strive to do
0: well speaking of that sort of thing and, and again you're you're probably more expert at warm weather hunting with uh with dogs and, than a lot of people do you do anything else either preseason, during the season in the field after a hunt how do you keep care of your dogs so that they don't overheat
1: well, when it is hot, we are always going to hunt very, very close to water, whether that's oh. a creek and a draw, or we may be hunting somewhere close to a windmill. That way we can just go and come back. If it happens to be a very hot day, um, like today, 72, that's that's really warm for dogs. Yeah, it Where is. Yeah. Running, running in 40 and 30s for the last couple of weeks. Um, we will typically make smaller individual segments of the hunt yeah we'll call it it a loop oh we'll go out 15 minutes coming back get get them in the water catch everybody gets the water everybody kind of likes that and then you go back out again and you come back whereas on a nice cool day we may hunt for an hour and a half straight yeah come back you know have a little snack in the field some waters let the dogs rest up we need to change one out we can and then go back out for another hour hour and a half um you know and that's just how that would work now when we're hunting around creeks and all that obviously the dogs are just jumping in whenever they want yeah, yeah but you have to manage it and you know managing it from a perspective of the dogs knowing their roles um you know not chasing after everything calling dogs back you know uh you know i guess you could say just just good solid dog handling yeah. takes care of a lot of it but like i said you know if you're just running if you're running you know pointers and you know they're retrieving and they're doing all of that well that's a lot of energy they're going to expend um when they don't necessarily have to and i was visiting with george hickox uh it was i think it was last year actually and we were talking about pointers and he was asking he said well are you he goes do you want them to retrieve if, if, if i send, if i send you some dogs i'm like no, so we got the cockers. He said, "Good, because we're not even training our pointers to do that anymore because we train the cockers." And,
0: I'll be darned. You know, it, it,
1: it, it, he said it takes a whole month off of training. Oh, to I bet get those pointers to find the birds. They. You know, shoot, they stay there till they're released, and then they go hunt and find some more birds. He says it's it's, it's a month less of training for those dogs.
0: Well, i got to call George and get him back on the podcast because that in, <laughs> in itself is something I want to learn more about. Yeah. Hey, uh, that is John Hubble with per- Premier Wing Shooting in Texas. I'm Scott Linden. This is the um, – what is this? The Upland Nation <laughs> podcast. Uh, John, you'll be right back, and I will make a couple commercial messages including this one uh, for landtrust.com just had a great conversation we're working on another trip right now for early season next year yeah Montana again Uh and, and let me tell you uh, the the conversation went this way why people like land you want one good day or one good week in a place that's far away you don't know anything about that area well, Land Trust has done all the legwork for you. You can basically rent a day on a private piece of property to hunt uh, whatever you're looking for. You can search their website at landtrust.com for any kind of hunting, well, in any kind of angling for that matter, and then pick your spot, book a day, book two days, five days. A lot of those places have camping right on the site. It's yours. It's nobody else's. You and your dog, you and your dog and your friends or family can get out there and explore a private piece of property all by yourself, knowing with confidence the place has been vetted for you by the LandTrust.com team. Yeah, learn more, shop around, create a free account at LandTrust.com. And of course, you want to shoot well when you get there. So get yourself over to truelockchokes.com. Had a great conversation with Scott Trulock uh, just recently at the SHOT Show. And uh, boy, have they got some interesting things coming down the pipeline. Don't forget to sign up for their email notifications. They've always got a sale cooking or some other sort of promotion. You can almost always find a reason to buy a choke tube or a new set of choke tubes. But beyond all that, the bottom line is they offer a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee yeah if you're looking for better shooting it starts with better chokes it's all at truelockchokes.com and welcome back john hubble premier wing shooting out there in texas one of the f- my favorite places that i've never hunted how's that john <laughs> John, we we've talked a little bit about dogs. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, about your terrain, but I'm intrigued just a little bit. You mentioned you uh, you have some oak trees out there, and and I just want you to describe the the terrain you're, where you're hunting those quail. Just give us, I mean, literally, walk us around out there and describe what it what it looks like for a classic Texas quail hunt.
1: So, uh, we're at our place. We're we're really fortunate to have quite a bit of elevation change and we sit up on one of the highest places in the county and we're up high and as you walk through if you're say you walking through the middle of the pasture or south pasture should I say you're looking down into you know big draws and where everything drains off and down to the creek and then obviously on down into the river um, about a half a mile away um, so that that is our typical place here we've got oak Mott's here it's it's a very much what you would call a post oak savanna, where you've got 90 to 95% native grasses and then stands of oaks or oak moths, you know, here and there, depending on, on where it may be. So that's, uh, that's what our place looks like. and it's not typical for, for Texas any longer. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Out, out towards West, you got a lot of, uh, mesquite prairies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in our area, um, what, what our place looks like, if you look at it, you're going to go, oh, man, it looks just like uh, prairie chicken country. And the interesting whole um, sad fact of that is prairie chickens, <laughs> use their habitat used to be from, I want to say, South Dakota all the way down to our Gulf Coast. Yeah, and yeah. With the encroachment of brush and trees and the lack of uh, a prescribed burning, all of that has changed, and they're not here anymore, so – um, but but uh you know we, we give that give that little history lesson when we're out on all of our hunts we we typically think of our hunts and strive in our hunts to make them uh, educational adventures so you're, you're going to get a lot a lot, lot of education while we're out having a good adventure on our place
0: well you know it it, it really does fascinate me for that reason <clears throat> among others you know it's almost a I guess I'd call it an ecological artifact uh, for Texas, at least. We, we all see that King Ranch country mm-hmm. and, uh, and think that's where all the quail hunting takes place is on those mesquite uh, plains yep. and that sort of thing. But there, there is some real habitat still around out there.
1: There is. There is. It's, and there's, there's South Texas, which is what you're talking about, the King Ranch. <sighs> and then there is north texas um which is another stronghold mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of quail and that is we, our place is at the kind of south corridor south border of what they call quail the, the quail alley up there yeah um which kind of leads its way from our place up to north texas you know past the red river and into oklahoma so yep, yep. there's still quite a few numbers up there and the habitat is in 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 a a, a shape that that provides have that provides a um, good area for quail and it's not it's, it's changing, but it's still it's still it's still decent so
0: cool tell me um about uh, you talked about educating people to 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 the area and to the hunting out there. what are some of the things that you' you frequently have to bring up to your hunters when you're in the field, whether it's uh, you know shooting tips or anything else
1: you know it's interesting there, there's a couple of things that seem to bring themselves up naturally throughout a hunt and uh-huh. one is scent dog scenting scenting conditions you know if 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 we start off on a hunt and we see that a you know we'll usually put one dog down and we'll, we'll trade him out or add another one or whatever we may do depending on how hot it is and sending a well if we're out there and we see that you know, the dog is bumping birds um, and just or getting right up on them before they're you know able to establish a point. Now, obviously, we start to realize hey, scenting conditions are bad, we want to put you know a couple of dogs, maybe three down three pointing breeds down at once just to make sure we're covering. Whereas, you know, on a good scenting condition day, uh, my best dog, Deuce, is a, a setter, his nose is incredible, he will literally lock up on a single pigeon at 40 yards, <laughs> and you know, that's incredible. So, but there's a there's a vast difference between wonderful sending conditions that allows that to happen and super dry, no wind conditions where they may not catch a, catch a, a scent until they're, you know, five yards away. And that can yeah. blow a lot of birds out really quickly. So that's one thing we, we talk about that. And, you know, with our undulation, how, you know, how the scent may be traveling up or maybe traveling down. And, you know, if you see you, things you start to learn, you know, one of the main things that come up dog will be on point, but we're, facing down a hill with a wind coming into our face and not always but i want to say 75 percent of the time that bird is going to be farther down that hill than you than you anticipate because of the way the wind comes hits yeah swirls up and then comes back down so that's uh you know we talk about that talk about the dogs and what they're doing and um that that works as far as shooting is concerned what i see and i'm sure you've seen it as well when we're rushing a shot Most misses are high, and so that's what I tell people. You know, it's just like in you know in golf, you 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 play for the 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 bad, and so here if you're going to you know if you're 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 not quite shouldering that that stock up high enough, you know maybe just keep keep the beat a little low and see how that works out, and you know that's that's the the miss ninety percent of the time. As a matter of fact, I don't. I don't recall a low miss. <laughs> oh, you haven't and, seen uh,
0: my T V show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, just shooting things like that. Um, talking about foot position and, you know, getting your feet into a good position to make a make a, a shot or you know, what we call when where you're going back against your your lead hand. You know, so if I for my my purpose I shoot right handed, so my left hand. If I'm if I'm swiveling back, you know, we call that getting screwed into the ground more yep. times than not yep. because you just you can't make that shot unless your feet are moving and you know so those are the types of tips we typically typically come into um with our with our 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 shooters and our hunters um as well as you know talking about safety and hey where's your area of shot versus your partner's area of shot Mm and you know what's safe and what's not and that's uh what typically happens out there as far as our tips are concerned
0: do you um uh, is there a common um mistake we all make uh when we're hunting with a guide that uh that that maybe you can flag for us so that we don't embarrass
1: ourselves you know the, the the one thing that i see that that comes up is just um I, I got two things one is just being you have to be not only laser focused on the bird but at the same time you have to have a, a peripheral focus or yeah. awareness yeah um, so you got to see that because every now and again you'll see somebody make a shot and it's like whoa that's a little low and you know we always tell people hey, don't thread the needle you don't have to get that bird cause I can guarantee you we're going to find more birds. Yeah. yeah. It's not, you know, very, very, very realistically, it's life and death. So we see that. Um, the other thing, you know, we, we get people come out and they will not take a shot. Like, oh, you should have taken that. Shot. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to applaud you. Thank you for thinking safety first. That is wonderful. Let's go find some more birds. Um, but the only other thing that I, I, I If you're an experienced hunter, and this is where where, I hope I don't make too many people angry with this, but this is just what we've noticed. The beginning hunters, the people who come out, we just finished a ladies' upland 101 uh, weekend, a couple of weekends ago, they're the safest shooters out there. um, Hardly, yes, there's a little concern and worry about new hunters and new shooters, Hmm. but it pales into comparison to the experienced shooters who come out. And what I tend to see is the more you shoot, the more you think you may be able to thread a needle. Yeah. And oh, I can make that shot. Well, no, you you may make it, but you might put a couple of pellets into the dog. So let's just not think that way. You know? So there's always another bird, always. There's not always another dog. (laughs) Yep, Yep. Um, At least for me and you know that's if you're going out to hunt somewhere hey we always tell people this when we go on our hunts does everyone in our group have permission to give to rib everyone else and to get on everyone else and we say that because if you're the kind of person who you know may get you know may get upset at somebody telling you what you've done wrong then we need to think about whether or not you're going in the field you know so we want everyone to give permission to really get on somebody if they do something bad and we want everyone to to give permission to accept that um I and we it. find that that yeah. makes a really good hunt yeah it I starts bet. off I in, bet. in a lighthearted way but if you make a you know if you're out with me scott and i see you make a horrible shot that endangers something you know i'm gonna get all over you and if if, if that upsets your ego then i'm sorry but maybe we shouldn't be hunting together you know <laughs> it's just, yeah. you, you yeah. got to be able to do that and i know sometimes it's difficult but we all have to set our egos aside and say hey you're absolutely right won't happen again i'm so sorry that adam because you know? it could be life and death and it, and it is
0: yeah, you know, and it's funny. Uh, uh, to talk to a lot of people like you, and 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 everyone's got a story about the guy they basically kicked
1: off the hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, have you got one? <laughs> no, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, actually, we've been very fortunate. We never never had dog shot that we're aware of. Um, uh, you know, it, it, the the worst I've had was a a, a person made a couple of low shots and said, look, you've made two low shots in a a row or you made two poor decisions on shooting. If that happens again, we're putting your gun up and you're just taking photographs for the rest of the the hunt, you know, but that, it wasn't bad. I've never had to kick anyone off. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, But we also set the stage and the expectations very well up front. You know, I mean, literally that is our conversation. Does everyone here give everyone else permission to give you, you know, (laughs) Need. yeah 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 <laughs> if you're doing something wrong and everyone's like yes yeah. so, okay hey, great and it's he like hey if, if you i get it if you're a hot-headed person and no well you can hang out at quail camp and we'll go hunt we'll come back and share our food with you <laughs> uh,
0: you know I, I i usually start with this uh in the conversation i can't believe i didn't start with you because we got so much in common including ugly dogs but what what is it about a bird hunt that that, that really gets your juices flowing <sighs>
1: You know, at the expense of sounding so cliche, (laughs) and I think you know where this is going, Mm -hmm. it's about the dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, But not just for the dogs. For my purposes, I love, I get a lot of gratification out of teaching someone, getting someone into the uplands, letting them see what the dogs are about, seeing someone's first bird on the flush. You know seeing that fire get lit in someone for something that's so that's i I just i think it's just in our nature to do these things and i think people discover that about themselves when they're out in the field with a dog i mean how long has our history with dogs been Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thousands of years (laughs) you know so it's it's interesting to see that and um um, that that's that's kind of what what gets it going for us is is you know watching that watching fathers and sons and husbands and wives and fathers and daughters and you know moms and sons all all of all of the various um setups there come out and, and watch watching them get what's going on and yeah it's just kind of a primal feeling i mean you know, we're, we're out hunting with dogs and we've been doing this. I think it's in our DNA at some point, right? You yeah. you've learned yeah. this, dogs learned this, and you know, we we work together and that's how it works.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't top that. John Hubble with Premier Wing Shooting. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. John, let's get practical on, on a few things. In the field, um, <clears throat> How are you, or, or even before, after, during, you know, the off season? Are you are you managing uh, your dog's feet in any way? Uh, you're, you're not in the same country as the poor schmoes who have to deal with sandburrs, for example. But but are you handling them? Do you toughen them up anyway? And uh, well, what do you do about nails, for example?
1: You know, we trim nails obviously, but you know, I find if you're running them enough that you know those those tend to take care of themselves i myself get up most mornings at four in the morning here in my house and you know my my hunting dogs or my dogs are my family dogs as well so when i get up in the morning and i go for a run one of them's going with me um i don't take them all at the same time (laughs) you know i'll I'll switch off days but you know we're running on you know asphalt through the neighborhood and all of that 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 keeps their feet pretty well pretty well um tough now you know sometimes when we get into some areas you know there's some rocks and things like that in our place you know we'll need to think about that or if we're hunting somewhere else in the state you know think about that a little bit maybe booting them up but yeah but i think if you just keep them out running just keep them doing what they're doing and i made the mistake this over two years ago at my house my dog run we put we, it's an astroturf dog run ha! Uh-huh. Oh, it's uh-huh. so great for the yeah. dog it's gonna look nice and i'm gonna tear it up you know it's all that well the the unforeseen circumstance of that or consequence should i say is their feet are softer now you know they're yeah. not running around the backyard like they were once and so yeah so i have to keep that in mind and at the forefront of my 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 training and like okay hey you'll have to go run with me every single day one mm-hmm. of you you know so they're getting a couple runs a week on hard old asphalt and you know and that keeps them pretty well but i had to learn that lesson the hard way is you know uh, summertime here uh, which is you know up until october yeah, <laughs> yeah essentially you know you're unless you're running at 4 30 in the morning you're not running And at 4 30 in the morning in the summertime here it's 80 degrees so yeah. you gotta yeah. think about that so the first year i had the the acid turf dog run i didn't think about that as much and we that last month leading into season didn't get out to do our daily runs and. Yeah, you know, we had some, some feet issues. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to think about that and just be prepared.
0: Yeah. Keep an eye on them and then check them on. So I, I'm amazed at how quickly my one dog knock wood, his, the g, g, what would I call it? The geography of his pads change by the week. I can look at him and they're, they're nice and smooth. There's no indentations. There's no cracks. There's no tears, Knockwood, wood. Um, but a week later, the same foot will have a crack going up the middle, and it will have a little gouge out of one side. And it's not just from running on rough country; <laughs> those pads are like our hands that yep. we're working them, flexing them every you know all day.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So keeping exactly an eye right. on those, you're absolutely right. What about uh, what about gear? You got uh, when you're out in the field or when you're training a dog? Uh, what kind of what tool if you will whether yes. it's care or training or constraining or whatever for your dog what what have you got that maybe we've never thought of bringing with us or buying
1: well so you know i'm a typical guide uh, you know I, I have a fairly substantial i think a couple fairly substantial um packs you know they pack in a lot of water and that's the main concern for us obviously make sure we have plenty of water on us while we're hunting um I run the, the Garmin alpha collars, with, mm-hmm. um, with the GPS and, and, and the simulation as well. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as something that maybe not many people think of, I know there's, there's some, some boots that you can buy out there for feet, <laughs> kind of going back to that. Yeah. But what we end up using is more than anything is, uh, motorcycle inner tubes.
0: You but, know, that is such a Texas uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. But explain to everybody how this works, because everybody n- needs to have a tool like this in well, their vest.
1: You're exactly right, and they're inexpensive, and that was kind of the main thing for us. Is I would buy these shoes, and then you know, put them on the dog, and you know, fifty dollars, you know, a set. Then all of a sudden, they come out and they're missing one. Okay, or, great. Or more. You know <laughs> or more. Exactly. So we started thinking about that, and. So, for the inner tube, and you can get, if you go to a motorcycle shop, more times than not, they're going to have old ones that they've removed, and they'll give them to you. Yeah. But you would literally cut the inner tube into sections that are about, oh, I would say six to seven inches long. Yeah. You're going to slice the end, one end of it, um, kind of perpendicular to, or parallel with, with the, the tube, or the little segment. You're going to tape that up around their their ankle, just, just below that first nub on the back of their on the back of their uh leg yeah and then you're, ta- you're gonna take you kind of make an anchor anchor tape like taping your ankle you're gonna tape it to the back and then you take it to the front and the front part is left open yeah um drains water they don't really come off sand falls the, out sand falls out grass falls out everything falls out and they've got an extra layer of protection and they're cheap. You can change them out really, really quickly, and you can carry them in your in your pack. I mean, you carry a set of four, and it might take up an inch or two of space, an yeah. inch of space by yeah. six inches long. You know, it's just nothing. So of course, it's easy to yeah.
0: yeah. The key is of bring your bring your duct tape along with you because that's critical. Yep. So keep yep. it in the vest alongside that stuff, and just I got it. I just had an inspiration. If you're looking at that tube what, what mm. you're cutting is a v kind of a v-shaped notch but it's nice and long
1: you're, you're exactly right it's so that right. Yeah,
0: when you yeah. get when you, know, well, you snake that foot through there you get it up there over uh what i think is called the carpal pad yeah um, then you kind of close it you know you can adjust the top of it that way by cl- by folding the notch over itself then yep. you get a good fit in it and if it's over the carpal pad then it stays on a little bit Longer, but mm-hmm. you you've seen it and I've seen it. We we do the same thing, but we don't even go that far. We just use duct tape, and uh, and you know we'll be hunting a canyon. We hunted a year ago or five years ago, and there on the ground is one of those duct tape dog boots. For, <laughs> <laughs> and and I just laugh because yep. uh, the, darn, I lost a three cents worth of I dog know. boot. Well, <laughs> I've
1: done that too in the past, and I, and I, I'm not sure on yours that basically you just put the duct tape down put yeah. their paw on top of it cross it over yep. the top kind of like a roman sandal and then back up and around the, the ankle and, and yeah yeah th- at that point anything helps with those pads yeah like anything helps so that's great and that's inexpensive and that's something that anybody can do
0: yep well that's that's really useful and then you probably got the same kind of a, a thing for For yourself or your clients when you're guiding you carry anything in your vest besides a granola bar that you can share out with them or maybe some angus beef jerky since it's so (laughs) handy uh what's in your vest that that we may not be carrying
1: um so in my vest i'm gonna have forceps Mm -hmm. um I, i will also have just some eye wash in there um i don't carry a lot um as far as dog aid in that there's always in the truck or in the buggy and we're not usually too terribly far now if we're on a wild bird it might be a little bit different but the other thing that I carry a lot and there is now if you get online you can find it um, there's now a porcupine quill jig yeah yeah Yeah. if you've if you've ever had a dog get into some porcupines out in west Texas and it was a little cocker and it took me and my buddy who we were hunting with to hold this dog down he had a dowel in his pack you know just a, a one inch wooden dowel yeah and he had a rope around it and we were shoving that thing in its mouth and trying to hold him down and pull quills at the same time a little 30 pound dog took two grown men yep holding him down with that dowel. I'm like, man there's got to be a better way and i found that jig and it just goes in there and he straps around the back of their head and then you kind of start unscrewing it and it pulls out and pulls open the mouth and makes it real easy so i carry that as well um other than that water yep. um and obviously a a short lead in case i've got to, you know yeah put a dog on put a dog on, on a lead to get them out of there or whatever so yeah. that's about it um i do carry some snake gators yeah just in case but they're just always in there it's just the kind of this place that i that that's where they, they live <laughs> it's not that i always need them but i know yeah. where they are if i ever need them i need to throw them on if we can but we we don't hunt you know if it's we don't start hunting in our place um until quail season actually starts which is um in the latter part of october and the main yeah. reason is you know we have a preserve license so by law and by license we can hunt year round but uh, we don't want to be there when the snakes are out. So we, we kind of wait till they go to bed, and then we finish before they come out.
0: <laughs> uh, no one's going to argue that one. That's great. Well, uh, we could go on and on, and we will. Maybe next time in person, maybe it'll be down there yeah. <laughs> in the meanwhile if you, if if people want to learn more about you and your operation premierwingshooting.com is where we do it am i correct there that is correct yes great john hubble is his name he's the outfitter guide orvis endorsed and knows his stuff and wow sounds like some pretty cool country down there hey sure enjoyed this thanks so much john for being a part of the upland nation podcast
1: absolutely thank you scott you're welcome
0: And don't you go away, because we're um, still working on that Handle It segment, which uh, I think fits perfectly into what we've just talked about. Uh, Long nails mean broken toes. Yeah, I'll explain all that uh, in just a moment. First off, one of the joys of going to the SHOT Show, and I'm really lucky, and I thank the National Shooting Sports Foundation, number one, for doing such a great job organizing it for so long, and number two for having you know having me as part of their team um but i was you know hanging around talking to some bulgarians uh, sipping a single malt and then uh, got to talking about casinos in cleveland and the old days no i won't go there um and who walks past larry potterfield yeah midwayusa.com midway's founder the guy he's still the legend when it comes to gunsmithing and gun products and as you might know i'm making a bunch of videos for them so get over there and watch some of those videos uh, but uh, and if you watched any of larry's or you watched the tv shows he sponsors you know he has a phrase and it's a good one it's a signature so i i run him down we chat for a bit and i read I, I, I lean over and whisper into his ear Larry, it's my turn <clears throat> Thanks for your business And I can't say you know I can't say enough about <clears throat> the business that they provide for us whether it's uh, hunting gear of various sorts, dog training gear that is a constantly expanding category for them you need ammo that's where you're going to find it uh, from non toxic of all sh- sizes and shapes to target ammo for this time of year, uh, midwayusa.com is where you can find it. Like I said, I've got more than a dozen dog related videos over there now. So just go over there and then search for me, my name, or go to Ambassador, the Ambassador page. Watch some of that stuff. And remember, while you're there, to sign up for their email or text notifications. You'll get 10% off your next order at MidwayUSA.com. And just got word from Fred Bohm over at SageAndBreaker.com. Their firearms parts tray is back in stock. Yeah, that's how much demand there is for that kind of stuff. I get those notifications by email before everybody else hears it right here on the Upland Nation podcast. So... If you want something, make sure you're on their email list, sageandbreaker.com. Lots of new products coming down the line. When they bring something back into stock, you're going to hear about it before everybody else. You'll get first crack at it. It's all at sageandbreaker.com. Yeah, I'm looking at all the things that will prepare us for next hunting season. Already. Um, Pardon me for getting a little selfish in our discussion with John Hubble about things like that, but I got to thinking about one that I have learned the hard way, and I don't want you to, and that is the length of your dog's toenails. I probably ought to talk to somebody who knows more about physics, orthopedics, and uh, uh, mechanics. Of various sorts. But my theory is this a long toenail is more of a lever to push a toe the wrong way when the dog lands on it while jumping off something or even just running. Do the math, you'll figure it out. It's a geometry problem, and you can all solve that. Bottom line I need to keep my dog's nails shorter. I've been through the ringer on this stuff and have settled on a Dremel tool. Maybe most of you have too. And if you haven't, this message is for you. Get yourself one and teach your dog how to put up with it. Here's what I would suggest. And this goes for just about any other kind of grooming slash doctoring you're doing on your dog. Put them up on the woe table. Make sure they're paying attention. Literally, just show your dog this device. Not while it's on, not first while it's on. Show it to him. Bring it closer. Maybe touch his feet, touch his nails. And if your dog objects to you holding his feet, well, you need to train that too. Um, then touch the Dremel tool business end, where the file is, if you will, the grinding wheel, to his toenails without running the thing. Get him used to all of that, and if you need to, offer up some treats, whatever you need. Acquaint that dog with that device. Then go way back away from the table, maybe in another day, or do this over a week or two. Turn it on the low speed, and let him get used to that noise. Bring it closer, closer. Start over again. Bring in the foot up, touching that thing gently to a toenail so that he gets used to everything in baby steps it might save you a broken toe on your dog that's what happened to manny a while back lost him for much of a season that way and i think that's why well this edition of handle it has been brought to you by espamerica.com. i'm using my new esp hearing protection devices in the field as well as at the range the new digital technology vastly minimizes wind noise you can still hear the birds get up you can still hear your dog's collar tags jingling if you got a bell or something like that all the better they're comfortable they stay in because they're custom fit yeah remember hearing loss is permanent permanent and cumulative Learn more about all of that and all the choices for hearing protection devices at ESPamerica.com. Had a great meeting recently with my friend Dave Fiedler at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. And I I hit on something that I, I really think is important. When you're shopping for a new shotgun, you need a guru. You need somebody who's objective who knows his stuff both on the range and in the field. Yeah, we talk dogs most of the time. (laughs) But who also knows what kind of shotgun is going to serve you best. I want you to think of Dave as that guy. Call him anytime. Get the number at midvalleyclays.com. If you're thinking about or actively shopping for a shotgun, this guy's going to answer your questions. Yeah, he'd love to provide you one. But if it's not the right fit, uh, you know, he'll send you to the right place. Midvalleyclays.com, Dave Fiedler, the shotgun guru I go to now, and he will be glad to counsel you as well. And when you're ready to pull the trigger, so to speak, they've got the gauge, the style, and the brand, including all the sub-gages always in stock at midvalleyclays.com. Well, thank you, John Hubble, PremierWingShooting.com for your practical and philosophical advice. Sure enjoyed that discussion. If you will, dear listener, please tell one person about the Upland Nation podcast. I would be most grateful. We are made possible by these folks, and if you can thank them by spending money at their websites, I'll be even more grateful. Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina ProPlan Sport Dog Food, ESPamerica.com Hearing Protection Devices, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and LandTrust.com. Finally, if you want more information on any of these topics, there's always something going on at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. And until I see you at the range, or at Pheasant Fest, I'll see you there. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast.